take your Bibles this morning and turn together to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5. John, chapter 5, in our Bibles this morning. John, chapter 5. Over and over in the Bible, uh, especially in the Gospels even, the Lord Jesus Christ, we hear his voice saying, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Um, in the book of Revelation, uh, it says the same thing. And really, throughout the Word of God, that message or that statement is made. If those, whoever's listening, um, hear what's being said. And the reality is, there are many people in life and many people in the world, and it's not just for today, but throughout history, uh, who have been exposed to the truth, but were not willing to hear it, were not willing to receive it. And, uh, and so throughout the Gospels, over and over again, Jesus says, He that hath ears, let him hear. Listen. Listen to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the message of the Bible. Well, why? Well, because what a person does with what the Bible says determines their destiny for forever. Think about that. What a person does with the message of God's Word determines their eternal destiny, where they'll spend all of eternity. You know, no, no one can be saved who doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Uh, I think all of us here, m- most of us anyway, would have a desperate desire to see people saved, loved ones, our children, our parents, um, our relatives, those we love, our neighbors, maybe some that we work with, people in general, um, but especially those that we love. And that really, it really does come down to that. Uh, Do we love people? But we would have a, we have, we have a desire to see people trust Christ as their personal savior. Um, And maybe we might be tempted to say to someone, well, repeat after me, follow me in this prayer and you can be saved. But Before a person can ever be born again, they have to believe that Jesus is God. They have to know him as God. They have to understand that he is God. They have to believe that in their heart. And by that, I mean they have to believe what the Bible says or how the Bible describes the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to believe in him as the Bible reveals him. They can't just, a person can't be saved by saying, well, I believe in Jesus and then if you and I or I were to ask them, well, what do you believe about him? Tell me about him. And they would might say something like this. Well, I believe in him. He was a good teacher. Is that enough to, for a person to be saved? No, it's not. Well, tell me about him. And the person might say, well, I believe he did some miracles. Is, is that enough for a person to be saved? They give verbal assent. I believe in Jesus. He was a good person. He did miracles. But... They don't, they don't believe that he is God. Uh, in our Bereans class, uh, Joshua is teaching on some cults, and uh, several of them so far, uh, they don't deny that Jesus existed, but they deny that Jesus is God. They don't believe that he is God. Um, some believe that he was created. Um, and many, many things are believed about him. But a person can't be saved without believing that Jesus is God. And so we're taking some time here in chapter 5, uh, maybe not moving as quickly as we'd like to, but 
we're taking time not just because it's a challenging passage, and it is, it is, there's some, there are some challenges in reading it. It doesn't just necessarily jump off the page at us. Um, it takes some study, it takes some thought, it takes some effort on our part, and we're studying it not be, just because it's challenging, but because it is so vitally important. In this chapter, Jesus is teaching the most important and the most foundational truth that any human being will ever come to understand. And that is this, that Jesus is God. He is God. And and here at Trinity Baptist Church, we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that he is God. He is God. He wasn't less than God when he came to this earth. He didn't uh, leave, uh, put off his, the, that part of him that was God. He was still God. Um, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He became a man. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again, and he has always been God, and he was God in all of those activities, and he is God today. Jesus is God. And so if a person doesn't believe that, that person already is standing in condemnation. Back in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 18, you remember we read and studied, He that believeth on him, believeth on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He's already condemned. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And what an astounding truth that was as we pondered it. People don't go to hell because they are sinners. They go to hell because they will not believe that Jesus is God. They will not believe upon him and receive him as their personal Savior. And so if a person doesn't believe that, they're already standing in condemnation. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, the Bible says, But these are written, these miracles, this account, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Let's look at our text. John chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 32. I'm going to read down through the end of the passage. Verse 32 down through verse 47. Now, uh, just uh, so it'll, it'll sink in, it'll, it'll be a more of a help to you as we read it. Remember what's happened here at the beginning of chapter 5. Uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem near the sheep market. There's the pool of Bethesda. You remember there are these people that are there desiring to be healed. They desperately need to be healed, and they're waiting for the water to stir so they can get into the water. The first person in the water is healed. There's this man who's been there for 38 years, this impotent man, this lame man. Jesus walks up to him, and uh, he basically says to him, Rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. And then you remember the man, after he's healed, there on the Sabbath, he turns Jesus in to the religious leaders. They approach Jesus after being identified, after he was identified by this formerly impotent man, now healed, and they begin to question him. And Jesus tells them, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but he basically tells them who he is. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I don't know who it was that told you about the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, it was my parents and in the home, and it was coming to a church like Trinity. We lived in South Michigan at that time as a young boy. And I can remember sitting in church services and not always sitting up in church services, but being there and hearing the Word of God preached and taught. And so 
those are the people who taught me or introduced me to Jesus. Who, who introduced you to Jesus? Can you remember who it was? Um, but can you imagine Jesus here is introducing himself to these religious leaders who know very well the Bible, the Old Testament. They know it very well. They know how many letters are in the Old Testament. They know how many words are in the Old Testament. Does anybody here know how many letters are in the Old Testament? Okay, so we're behind them in our understanding and our knowledge. These men knew a lot about the Old Testament. They knew a lot about the Bible, but they didn't know the person of the Bible. And the person of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. All through the Old Testament, the the center most person of the Bible is God, the Messiah, uh, who is going to be identified in the New Testament as the Christ, Jesus. And so the person of the Old Testament is standing before the men who know the Old Testament so very well, and he's introducing himself to them. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm here. This is who I am. Here I am. And these men reject him. They hate him. They persecute him. They want to kill him. They despise him. They knew the Old Testament, but they hated the person of the Old Testament. So Jesus now, because he knows who he's talking to, uh, he says, okay, you don't believe what I'm telling you about myself. Maybe you'll believe the person that you say you believe, God, right? You believe him. You believe the Old Testament. You believe the God in the God of the Old Testament. You say that you do. And, uh, and the Old Testament says that things need to be verified in the mouths of two or three witnesses. So I'm going to give you some witnesses that God has provided for you. You say you won't believe me, but you'll believe God's testimony. So here it is. And that's what we're going to read now. Look at verse 32. There is another that beareth witness of me. And that would be the Father, that he's, that's who he's talking about. And I know that the witness which he witness, witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, speaking of John the Baptist, and he bear witness unto the truth, but I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time with that today, but who's he talking to? He's talking to religious, Jewish religious leaders who hate him, who are rejecting him who are not coming to him. They are not humble men. And yet Jesus says those words, the things that I'm saying to you, I'm telling you so that ye might be saved. Do you think God, the Lord Jesus Christ, wanted these unbelieving men to be saved? Yes. Look at verse 35. He was a burning and a shining light. Speaking of John the Baptist, a lamp is the idea And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. You enjoyed his popularity, men. You you liked it. The son of a priest, a prophet, you you identified him as a prophet. You, 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 You enjoyed his popularity while he was alive. By this time in John, uh, he might well have been dead. Look at verse 36. But I have a greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me. So there's the witness of the testimony of John the Baptist. There's the testimony of the, in verse 36, of the miracles of Jesus that the Father hath sent me, verse 37. And then there's a third testimony of the Father, and that is 
of the Old Testament, the Word of God. Look at verse 37. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. But ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So all of the Old Testament, Jesus says, is a testimony that I am the Messiah. You know it. You've studied it. You've given your lives to it. You've poured over it. You say that you know it. You tell me that you believe it. It gives testimony of me, Jesus says at the end of verse 39. Look at verse 40. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, Jesus says. I'm not exalted. I'm not, I, don't, I don't get my honor. I don't have to receive my honor from men, Jesus is saying. I, he already is honorable, verse 42. But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, and I might add to that, and it was politically expedient for you, ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. You don't have to fear me, Jesus tells them. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. Now, he's talking about the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God used Moses to write those first five books of the Old Testament. Now, those were the five books of the Old Testament. These men, they would have staked their lives on. They would have said, we believe everything that Moses ever wrote, and we live by what Moses wrote, and we're enforcing on other people and imposing on other people what Moses wrote, and... They were even accusing Jesus, you're not abiding by what Moses wrote. And Jesus says to them, you don't have to worry about me. The very person you say that you trust and that you believe in and whose words you know and have studied and lived by, those are the very words that are going to incriminate you someday. Verse 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings... How shall ye believe my words? Jesus really calls them out. He says, you, you say you believe the Bible, but you don't know the person of the Bible. You say you believe the words of Moses, the Old Testament. You, you know how many letters are in his writings. You know how many words are in his writings. You count the letters. But when it comes to knowing the person of the letters, you don't know them at all. And more than that, you don't believe what Moses wrote. You say you do. You know a lot of the laws. But you don't believe them. You're not humble men submitting yourselves to the word of God. You see, these men were arrogant, proud, rebellious men who were using the Old Testament for their own personal advantage, both financially, politically, in their society, position of advancement. They, were, they did not fear God. They did not know God. And they did not believe what Moses had written, because if they had, they would have believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and they would have had the forgiveness of their sins. 
It really boils down this passage to a question might be, do you believe the revelation of God? Do you believe the testimony of God that God has presented to you and to me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at this passage. Uh, Father, it's theologically rich. Um, But Father, may we just not know some more things about Jesus or know how Jesus debated these men some 2,000 years ago. But Lord, may our hearts walk away this morning better knowing our Savior as all-sufficient, as perfectly capable, as more than able in our lives. May our hearts rejoice in our Savior and the forgiveness we have from death and hell or, or from our sin and salvation from death and hell. But also, Lord, may we better know our Savior as more than able to meet our needs, to help us overcome this life and be conquerors, more than conquerors. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the message... The message of the church today, and I mean church, we could say Trinity Baptist Church or Bible-believing churches, is not a social gospel. It's not a gospel of, you know what, there are hungry people out there and, uh, and they need to be fed and so we're going to do that. Or it's not about equality, it's not about animal rights, that's not the message of the church. It's not about, even about human rights, though the Bible would lead us to take care of animals And the Bible would lead us to give and help those who do not have. The Bible would lead us to do what the group is doing this week, an effort to get the gospel out to people, to go to Kenya and to help meet physical needs, eye and dental and physical and surgical and whatever. Um, But ultimately the goal is not just to help people for a temporary period of time to have a better life. That's not the message of the church. Do you see a problem with that? If that was our message, if all our message was, was here, we can help you for this life. We can, we can help you financially. Is that a good thing to help someone financially? Yes or no? Sure, it is. Uh, we can help you physically, but eventually this life is going to end. See, that's the point. And so the message of the church is not a social gospel. It's not an educational gospel It's not a physical healing type of a gospel or equality gospel. That's not it. Ultimately, the message of the church is salvation, forgiveness of sins. Who can give that? Forgiveness of sins, to be forgiven of sin, to be no longer held guilty, but forgiven to be able to have heaven as our home for all of eternity. You know, when I think about Robert uh, Jennings and passing away, God saved Robert's soul. And Robert is with the Lord. Robert was forgiven of all sins. I think of Bethany passing away a few weeks ago. Uh, And there's a lot of grief that the loved ones go through in mourning the loss because they're separated from the one that they've loved for so long. And in Bethany's case, only 34, they thought she was sick. Maybe like I've been sick over the past week, some respiratory things and a flu for a few days. Not a big deal, right? Sounds a little funny, but not a big deal. And that's kind of where they thought Bethany was. Turned out to be a heart problem. She says to them, hey, uh, 
I don't really feel well. I'm going to go back to my bedroom, turns around and begins to walk back, and she collapses in the home at 34 years of age, just 34 a few days. But yet in a time of grief for someone who is born again, there is hope because someone has been forgiven, because they've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and their salvation with the Lord. See, that's the message of the church. And so these other things are nice, and, and they are important to a degree, but it pale, temp, the temporary pales in comparison to the eternal. And salvation uh, from hell through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ starts with who he is. It starts with who he is, and, and that's where we are in our flow of John's gospel. We haven't gotten yet to the crucifixion of Christ, though that's very important. We haven't gotten yet to his resurrection, though we're going to get to that as we make our way through this gospel. But we're at the part where a person has to start with. And that is believing that Jesus is God. We've been looking at these amazing claims of Jesus in his own words. And you can look back there in verse 17 and and following down through verse 29. And really, Jesus was telling them that he is God. And you remember, Jesus, this Galilean carpenter, this stonemason... And he's unmistakably claiming to be equal with the Father. And these Jewish religious leaders really had a problem with that. Who do you think that you are comparing yourself to the Father? You're saying that you are equal with the Father. And they totally, see, they they weren't really believers in the Father either. If they had been, they would have been receiving his Son. And Jesus was telling them when we studied these things, he told them that, He was the same as the Father in his character, in his nature, in his essence, who he was. He was holy like the Father was holy. Who can say that? He was the same as the Father in his works. The creator of the ends of the earth, he was the same as the Father in his power. All power. This Galilean carpenter with worn hands is looking at these men with his Galilean accent and his Galilean dress, and he's saying... All power belongs to me, is in essence what he was saying. And they were really struggling with it. Would you have struggled with that? If you'd had the hearts of those men, you would have. He told them that he had all authority, that all honor was due him, and that he was the truth. And this was an unmistakable claim. And these men, though they rejected Jesus, they understood what, who he was claiming to be. He's talking to the religious Jews who want him dead because he's exposing their false religious system. And as we come to verse 30 and 31, there's a shift from his own testimony to the testimony of someone else. Look at verse 31. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what was Jesus saying there when he says that? If I bear witness of myself, if I give testimony of myself, then my testimony and my witness is not true. Was Jesus saying... If I tell you the truth about myself, I'm lying. Is that, what, is that what he was saying? No, what Jesus was saying was, if I tell you the truth about myself, you're not believing what I'm saying. It's not getting through to you. It doesn't mean anything to you. So, because you're not believing the words that are coming out of my mouth, Jesus was saying, then I'm going to give you the words or the testimony, the witness of someone else. A person that you say that you believe in. A person that you say is the truth. A person that you say can never tell a lie, and that is God. Now, how would they respond to this? His words weren't enough. 
you know, as I think about this, I, I thought to myself this week, are his words enough for me? Now, all of, most all of us here would say, well, yes, his words are enough for me. I believe in him. He is my savior. He is, he is my Lord. I love him. And yet there are times, are there not, when I wonder, are his words enough for me? Are, are his words enough to comfort me? Are his words of warning and instruction enough to keep me from going down a path of disobedience? Are his words enough for me? Because I can look at these men and say, boy, you, you hypocrites and you liars and you rebels at heart, and you're so arrogant. You were so arrogant. You stood and looked at the Savior of the world, the creator of the world in the eyes, and you scoffed at him, and you called him a liar, and you called him demon-possessed and empowered by Satan. You called him... How dare you, you arrogant men? You wouldn't believe what he was telling you. Maybe there are times in my life where I look similar to them, where he speaks to me by his word, and I don't respond in faith to him. I don't believe what he's saying. I, I believe what I want to believe. I do what I want to do. I organize my life the way I want my life organized. And by the way, and I don't mean to get ahead of things, but that's exactly where their problem was. They hated Jesus because Jesus didn't fit into their lifestyle. If he would have played politics with them, they would have loved him. They would have used him. They could have lived with him if he had played their game, but he didn't. He loved them too much, right? He told them, I'm telling you these things that ye might be saved. That was his heart for them. So the Father is who we're talking about here, and the Father gives testimony to Jesus in three ways. Notice, first of all, the Father's witness, the Father's testimony. The first testimony that's given was John the Baptist. Look at verse 32, and I'll read down through verse 35. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Ye sent unto John. Now, that's interesting. He says, you actually sent unto John. You remember? You believe, you believe what he said, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man... But these things I say that ye might be saved. So do you remember John the Baptist? Many of you do. Some of you know a lot about him. Some of you may not know an awful lot about him. But do you remember his mission? Do you remember his, what his purpose was? Do you remember what he said about Jesus? John the Baptist was not an ordinary man. He came from a priestly family. He, that would have given him extra credibility in the eyes of these kind of men. Uh, the, the priestly families were not always honorable families, but oftentimes they were political, and so to these men, it would have meant something. And so Jesus brings up John the Baptist. Um, the priests were normally revered and honored, though maybe not honorable. They were respected throughout the land of Israel. And John the Baptist was also a prophet. He was the only prophet in Israel, and there hadn't been a prophet in how many years? 400 years. 400 years. How old is the United States of America? Not 400. We're young. So 400 years had gone, gone by. What did a prophet do? A prophet delivered God's message to God's people. That's what a prophet did. They call them the 400 silent years because God wasn't 
speaking to his people. That's a scary thought. Sometimes, and it won't be 400 years, but sometimes that happens even in our lives when we grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit, and even to the point where God, in a sense, might take a step back. Not that he's not with us, not that he's not still loving us and desiring to work in our lives, but if we're going to oppose him time and say no to him over and over and over and over again and insist on our way and insist on our idolatry, like the people of Israel, God finally said, okay, Go ahead. It was not for their better. So there are a few things we need to understand about John the Baptist. God himself, the Father, had commissioned John the Baptist back in chapter 1. And John the Baptist's objective was to bear witness of the light. You remember we studied chapter 1, and when the light entered into the world, and light was Jesus, capital L, and John the Baptist's message was that Jesus was the Lord. He was the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, the Savior of the world. John the Baptist told the people that he was the Son of God. So God had commissioned John the Baptist to bear witness of the light and to identify Jesus Christ as God in human flesh. And you remember what John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And John had identified him as the Son of God. This this was John's message. And Jesus tells them in verse 33, Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness of the light. You're not receiving me. You're not receiving what I'm telling you. But you received John, and he told you that I am the Son of God. He told you that I am the light of the world. He told you that I am the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. What's the problem? Jesus doesn't fit into their lifestyle. Jesus doesn't fit into their philosophy. He doesn't fit into their religion. And by the way, their religion was not the Bible. Their religion was what God had given manipulated and twisted into being centered on them. What does it mean to be a witness? John was a faithful testimony. He was a faithful witness. A witness is to be a a, a witness means to be a credible or, or, or to be a credible witness. That individual needs to have seen the event with his own eyes. John the Baptist saw Jesus. A witness doesn't talk about himself. The witness speaks of who he has observed or what he saw. And in a court of law, the witness is asked to take the stand, and under oath, he's asked to testify to what he has seen, what he can verify. Jesus was the Word, and John the Baptist was a witness to the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. The purpose of John the Baptist's ministry was to direct the attention of mankind not to himself, but to the light. And Jesus reminds these Jewish religious leaders that they, and there had been a time that they had recognized John the Baptist as a legitimate prophet. You sent people to him. They questioned him. Why are you baptizing? What is your, who authorized you to do this? Do you remember that? They looked into John the Baptist, and for a while, John the Baptist would have been the most popular man in Israel. He was well-known. They, to some degree, enjoyed his preaching. Now, they were hypocrites. They didn't believe. They didn't follow. They didn't heed what he was saying. But to a degree, 
they enjoyed it because he was preaching the kingdom of God and repent. The Messiah is coming. Well, they didn't mind any of that, but they weren't going to like the Messiah. That was their problem. They didn't mind an ethereal Messiah, a Messiah that would fit into their religious system that would prop them up and would give them authority and power and allow them to make money off of the people. They would have been fine with that kind of a Messiah, but they didn't want a genuine Messiah, a Messiah who could take away their sins. What sins? They might have said. What's wrong with our lives? They might have said. Nothing wrong with the way that we live. They had viewed John the Baptist as a celebrity. You know, whenever God raises up a spiritual leader who commands attention, there is always the danger of attracting people who want to enjoy his popularity but not submit to his authority. I might go further than that. Sometimes people are attracted to a church because it seems to be successful, but they don't know or love the God of the Bible. A church ought to be centered on the Word of God. We as God's people, every single one of us, though we all fall and we struggle from time to time, every single one of us ought to love the God of the Bible, seek to know Him better, and submit ourselves to Him. We ought not be a congregation of people who are just deciding how we're each going to live, and we're going to live however we want to live. You don't, you don't judge me, I won't judge you, and we're just all, we'll just all do what we want to do. That's not a God-honoring church at all. I'm, I, I, I think back to Moses in the Old Testament when God commissioned him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he did. Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, and God's doing miracles, and he did many miracles and the plagues to deliver them out of Egypt. And he gets them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry land, and God's feeding them, you know, and he's leading them, and he's protecting them, he's guiding them, and all these sorts of things. And God's people are enjoying all of these things that are God's doing in their lives and in their nation. And yet, the Bible says in the Old Testament that they were a mixed multitude And when things didn't go the way that they wanted them to go, they began to rebel against the leader that God had raised up and ultimately God himself. The people were impressed by the miracles, but they were not yielded to God. So let me ask you where you're at. Are you impressed by the miracles that God does? Do you enjoy the things that God does in other people's lives, but are you... My question is, are you yielded to the God of the miracles yourself? Am I yielded to the God of the miracles? The prophets and apostles all put up with shallow people who followed the crowd but refused to obey the truth. Jesus put up with that. I think we have people in churches today like that as well. Don't be one of those people. These Jewish religious leaders were so politically motivated, they weren't seeking the truth. Look at verses 34 and 35. He says, But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might believe. He says of John the Baptist, he was a burning and a shining light, a a lamp to the light, is what he was saying. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. You even rejoiced in his message and what he was saying. You had no problem with the idea of a Messiah, but you now you're rejecting the Messiah. 
At the end of Jesus' ministry, he pointed them back to John the Baptist. Now, by this time, John the Baptist had been beheaded. And back in Matthew 21, listen, listen to what Jesus talks to these Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders. Listen to what they're, get the idea of their thinking. They were hypocrites. They were politicians extraordinaire. Uh, Matthew 21, and, and I'll read from verse 23 down through verse 27. Matthew 21. This is after John the Baptist was dead. That there's still These religious leaders are still not believing that Jesus is the Christ, that they need him, that he's the Messiah. And in verse 23, it says, and when, Jesus says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? They're asking the same questions all through his ministry. And who gave thee authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will answer you one thing, if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Jesus brings up the baptism of John. John's teaching. Whence was it? Where did it come from? Who authorized it? Was it from heaven or was it of men? Jesus is asking this. And they reasoned, they deliberated, they considered, they thought about it with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not then believe him? Jesus is still saying, but why aren't you believing God's messenger? If you really say you believe God's messenger, you would believe in me. What did Jesus say to us? If you love me, keep my commandments. You love me. You believe in me. If you really believe who I am, the God of the Bible, if you really believe that I'm your Savior and your Lord, do what I tell you to do. Not so hard. But look at them. They're, look at the politicians here. If, if, we, if we say one thing, then he'll, he'll pin us and he'll say, you, why don't you believe in me? Verse 26, but if we shall say of men, he was not of God. If we say he wasn't of God, he was of men, we fear the people for all hold John as a prophet. Everybody knew John was a prophet. And it'll be politically uh, suicidal for us to say that he was not of God. Verse 27, and they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. <laughs> Great. We're not going to say he's of God because that'll make us look bad in front of Jesus and we'll lose our argument. And we're not going to say he's of men because then the people will turn on us. So we're just going to say we don't know. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. In other words, what I do is none of your business. I don't have to answer you because you're not honest. That's who these men were. They rejected God's witness of the truth. Isn't that sad? John the Baptist came and he preached, and they went along with it for a while because it was, they thought it might be to their advantage. But when the Messiah that John preached actually showed up and exposed them for who they were, they rejected him. Notice the Father's second witness. And we're not going to take much time with these because we've been pouring over them. But in verse 36, we see the miracles that, of Jesus, the, the miracles that Jesus did. So, John, so Jesus is telling them, he says, if you don't believe what I'm saying, then won't you believe what John the Baptist told you? you didn't you say you believed what he, his message was? 
And if not John the Baptist, then what about the miracles that I do? Look at verse 36. He says, But I have a greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. The same works I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. The miracles. Look back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Look back to chapter 2. I've told you how that the Holy Spirit led John to include seven of these miracles that Jesus did during his earthly ministry in his account of the gospel. Look back to chapter 2 and verse 10, or verse 11. It says there, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. It was obvious, and his disciples believed on him. Now, what miracle are we talking about there that was in Cana? He turned the water into what? Into wine. Turned the water into wine. We could talk about the nobleman's son. Remember the the nobleman, the the king's man who lived in Capernaum and he had his son? Remember what he called his son the second time he said something to Jesus? My little child, just a little boy, your death. The father, this king's son, who would have probably had some finances and some resources and some ability to take care and handle things in life, was up against a situation he couldn't handle. And what does he do? He heard about Jesus. Because everybody was hearing about Jesus. Because people don't raise people from the dead and make blind people see and lame people walk. And they don't turn water into wine. And people don't do that stuff. Normal people don't do that. God-empowered people do did some of things like that. And this nobleman, I wonder what he told his wife, honey, stay here, stay with her boy. I won't be long. And 20 miles about uphill to Cana, he finds Jesus. And was Jesus merciful and great? He was merciful and he was gracious, but was he, did he show compassion when the nobleman showed up? Do you remember that? No, he didn't. He questioned his faith. You're just believing because you want to see a show. And the nobleman cries out, Please, come. Please, come. It's 20 miles. It's downhill, even. And it was. It's downhill. Just come. 20 miles. Because you can heal my son. And Jesus says, Go home. He's already here. And the nobleman turned and he went home. And these were the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we talked about the crippled man here in chapter 5, the beginning part, 38 years. Nobody cares about him. Nobody will help him to the water. Nobody to help him. But Jesus walks up to him and says, basically, how are you doing? Would you like to be healed? And the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the man's faith. And Jesus tells him in Verse 8 of chapter 5, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. You see, the miracles of Jesus were signs that Jesus was not like any other man. He was different. He was the Christ. He was the Son of God. Look over to chapter 20 for just a moment. What what were all these signs for? Why did Jesus do all of these miracles? Look to John chapter 20. In verse 30, it says there, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, more than just the seven 
But these are written. These miracles are penned down. These signs are included in this account of the gospel that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's the point. And now Jesus in chapter 5 is looking at these men and he's saying, if you don't believe the message of John the Baptist, who said, this is the light, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, this man can take away your sins. He's, not, he, he's, not, he's more than just healing you physically. He's more than just making you see again. He can give you eternal life. He can take away your sins. You can be forgiven. That is a glorious message. I need to talk more to my children about that message. To the best of our knowledge, all four of our children have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sins. But you know what? As their daddy, I ought to talk to them more about the glorious, wonderful truth that they claim to have received, and that is that Jesus is the forgiver of sins. You know, when my little children sometimes sin against me and I have to apply the rod of correction in an appropriate way and then give them a hug and send them on their way forgiven, we're not going to bring it up anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to give you a look of disdain throughout the rest of the day that you did that. No, no, because it's forgiven. It's totally forgiven. And I can forgive you that way, Ian or William or Tori or Olivia, because I've been because that's the message of the Word of God from cover to cover. That's the person that the Bible talks all about. That's all about from cover to cover. The Savior of the world, the, the one who forgives sins. We ought to talk more about these things. We ought to rejoice more. We ought to wake up and we ought to ponder and, and sometimes with shame think of the sin that is finding residence in our lives and be convicted by the Spirit of God about it and confess it, but then rejoice that we are forgiven. We ought to live that way. See, Jesus was repeatedly stating, and we'll not take the time to look at it, but he repeatedly states throughout his earthly ministry that what he's doing are not just his works, but they're the works of the Father. It's not just his mission, but it's the mission of the Father. Even Nicodemus, an unsaved Pharisee, he identified Jesus by his miracles. You remember back in chapter 3. In verse number two, what did Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night? And what does he say? The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, and Nicodemus wasn't saved at this point, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He was an unsaved man at the time. And Jesus looks at these unsaved men and he says, why don't you believe me? If you don't believe what I'm saying, won't you believe what John said? You said you believed what he was saying if you won't believe what John the Baptist said, won't you believe because of the miracles that I'm doing that, have, that are only possible by God the Father? Don't you believe? These men are so stubborn. In John 21 and verse 25, and we'll move on, it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, talking about the signs and the miracles that Jesus did, John says, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing people. Everywhere he went. 
and the whole place was on fire because there was a man named Jesus. And these men had heard of him. They knew what he did. They knew what he did. But they rejected who he was. Look at verse 37. The third witness the Father brings into the equation is the word of God. Look at verse 37. John chapter 5. It says this, Jesus goes on, And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You say you believe in God. It's basically what Jesus is saying to these men. You, you, you claim you be, you're believers in God, the Father. He's borne witness of me. He's, he's told you of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. You're not, a, you're not receivers of his testimony, of his word. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures. And and when he says there, search the scriptures, what was he talking about? He's talking about the Bible, but think with me. Was the New Testament in existence at this time? Not in print. Okay. They didn't, nobody had it. What did they have? They had the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The Scriptures, the Old Testament, testify of me. Teachers, we don't preach and teach enough from the Old Testament. Church, we don't know the Old Testament well enough. It's not that the New Testament is not glorious and wonderful. We don't know the Old Testament well enough. And I'm not saying we should go back and live under the Old Testament Jewish law. That's not what I'm saying. But the Old Testament preached Christ. The Old Testament preached the Messiah. It really is impossible, in my opinion, to know the New Testament as as God wants us to know it and understand it without knowing the Old Testament. Some of us have been saved for a long time, and our knowledge of the Old Testament is next to nothing. It is not for our benefit. It is not for our good. And by the way, for Jesus to say this, you have the scriptures, search them, and you will find me. By the way, Jesus, all he had during his earthly ministry to preach was the Old Testament. And all the apostles had to preach during their earthly ministry was the Old Testament. And all the early church had. You remember the early church, right? They have Pentecost. Persecution comes. The church is growing leaps and bounds. Remember they appoint some deacons and how many people get saved and baptized and added to the church? Hundreds and hundreds They didn't know what they were doing. God wasn't doing anything in the early church. I think you know I'm, that's a lie, what I just said. They didn't have all the how to grow a church in 10 months books. How to have a successful church, at least one that looks successful to your people, kind of church. 
All they had was the Old Testament. We don't talk about it enough. We don't know it well enough. And you know why? I think, we, I think the reason why is because it takes a lot of work. And it's outside of our, it's outside of our scope of our perspective. It's, it's a much different culture. There are many challenges to understanding it. It's challenging. It's bigger. It's longer. I mean, from my perspective, one who enjoys reading but is not fast, Cindy reads, and I can remember watching her read and, and actually asking her, are you understanding what you're reading there? Because if I flip pages that, I don't think I can even flip pages that fast, let alone read words on the page and comprehend them. I'm like, okay, let's go back and go do it again. Takes me a little longer. You may be the same way. Don't neglect the Old Testament. It's all they had. Look at verse 39, verse 37, the beginning part. It says, the Father himself hath, which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Look down to verse 39, the beginning part. He says, search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me. And, 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 and here's the thing. The Old Testament, they had it. They had had it for centuries. It was available to people. Not everybody had a copy by any means. It wasn't even in print like this. It had to be copied out. They're using scrolls. It gave testimony, extensive testimony from God the Father to the deity of Christ. Isaiah 53. A root out of a dry ground. We're going to esteem him not. We're going to esteem him stricken of men. We're going to esteem him as nothing. The Messiah is going to come. But these men had the truth in their hands. The Bible, Jesus had, they had. And when it says there in verse 37, the middle part, hath borne witness, the Father hath borne witness, it's perfect tense. It has the idea of an action that had happened in the past, it was completed, but it had ongoing influence and results. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In Hebrews 1, in verse 1, it says, God, who at sundry times, many times in, in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, you have the word of God, is what he was saying. Jesus was telling these extremely educated religious men that God had spoken, the Father had spoken. They had read about Jesus. They had studied all about him. But they were blind to their own Messiah. They were blind to their own salvation. Some of us, many of us in this room are born again. We are saved. We have the salvation of God. Heaven is our home. But at times, practically in our daily lives, we're even blind to our own salvation. He tells us about that salvation. The New Testament goes into great detail about it. This is how you can live. You have it. Jews knew what Moses had written, but they didn't believe what he'd written. Why? Because they loved their lives the way that they were. That's why. I don't want to change because I like it the way that it is. They loved their lives, their religious lives, their wicked lives. They loved their lives without God. What's astonishing to me is that while these religious leaders believed that John the Baptist was a prophet from God and that Jesus' miracles were empowered by God, though they would later deny that, while they believed that the Old Testament was given by God, they ultimately rejected the person that all three of these witnesses testified of. 
John the Baptist, Jesus' miracles, and the entire Old Testament. They chose not to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. In verse 16, you, you remember it says that they were persecuting Jesus. In verse 18, it says they wanted to kill Jesus. And look at verse 40, it says this, And ye will not come to me, Jesus says, that ye might have life. You could have life. You could have eternal life. You could have the forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. Jesus was saying about himself that he was the Savior of the world. I can take away your sins. They didn't want it. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. You say that you love God. You say that you know God, but Jesus looked at them and he saw right through them and he said, you don't have God's love in you at all. You are so religious. You're a hypocrite. You say one thing, but you don't have it. He says, I am come in my Father's name, in verse 43, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. You'd receive him, but you won't receive the one. You won't receive me when I come from God. Verse 44, how can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, and you don't, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? These religious leaders, they were confronted with the truth and they rejected it. They saw Jesus face to face. Jesus said, if you won't believe me, won't you believe John the Baptist? Won't you believe the miracles that God the Father has empowered me to do? Won't you believe the word of God, the Old Testament? Won't you believe? I'm telling you these things so that you'll be saved. You can be saved. These men could have been saved. And by the way, not all religious Jewish people went unsaved. There came a point in Nicodemus' life when he believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm remembering Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, one of those most brilliant thinkers of his day, who was so convinced that he was right, so convinced that he knew God the Father and was following God the Father as he literally put to death people in the church and dragged them out of their homes and imprisoned men and women. And then finally one day, Jesus brought him very low in his life so that he could reveal himself. And Jesus took a proud man named Saul of Tarsus and he saved his life. He forgave all of his sins. Do you think Saul deserved that? What would you think of somebody who came in and began to take the lives of people within this church family whom you love and destroy the church? That was Saul of Tarsus, and God forgave him, and he gave him a new name, Paul. And that Pharisee became an apostle. He became a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he preached the gospel message and the salvation of God. And much of the New Testament is penned down by him. See, you and I have a choice. You and I have a choice. We can receive the testimony of God and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
many of us have for the salvation of our souls. And my challenge to you as you go from this place, and not just to you, but to me as well, let's live like we believe the words that Jesus says to us. Let's live like I'm not telling you to dress a certain way or listen to a certain or to watch a certain or to, I'm not giving you boxes to check off. I'm saying you say yes to the spirit of Christ who loves within, lives within you and loves within you. 